All right. Uh, anyway, so the question posed is, is the church a denomination? And so what I wanted to do this morning is take a step back and examine the, the, the concept, the phenomenon of, of denominationalism first to make sure that we have a, the same ground from which to start our discussion and our study. Uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of go on uh, from there. All right, so first I want to talk a little bit about social identity. And if that sounds kind of dry and boring to you, I promise I won't belabor it too much. But I think it's important because it will help us understand where these trends come from. So uh, I want you to think back a little bit. Uh, Think back to high school. And for some of us, that might be a little difficult because it was a long time ago. But think back to high school. When you were in high school, you were a teenager. Uh, Who were you? You don't have to answer out loud. Sometimes you don't want to answer out loud. But think about who who were you in high school? And the reason I ask that is because uh, the teenage years is where most people start to uh, consider and struggle with the concept of identity. Uh, why do you see teenagers with weird clothes and oddly colored hair, maybe tattoos or like, different things like that is because during that time in a person's life they're trying to figure out who they are, right? And being in high school, there are other people who are also trying to figure out who they are. And so what happens is people tend to associate themselves with similar people. And they tend to form a group identity, right? So you talk to me, I was, when I was in high school, I was a band kid. There were a whole lot of other band kids. And so that was the social group that I identified with because we had things in common. And so we used that basis of the group we were a part of to form social bonds, friendships, and that led to us getting to know each other and spend time together. Without something like that to break the ice, it's difficult, especially at that time in your life, to, uh, you know, to make those relationships. And so if you think back, when you were in high school, maybe you were... Uh, one of the athletes on the football team, or maybe you were a cheerleader, or maybe you were in the band, or maybe you were like uh, one of the honor students, like the, the, maybe you were just more of a loner, maybe you were like a musician type person. But you see, when you, when you walk into a high school, it's very obvious that people are putting themselves into certain buckets, Right? People have a need to identify themselves, to come up with some sort of self-identity. And that doesn't change as you get older. We, we seek to become part of groups, and we do that so that we can get to know other people and spend time with them and have things in common with them, right? Uh, sports fandoms, right? That's what I've got up on the, on the screen there. You know, do you identify yourself as an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan or a Mississippi State fan or a Tennessee fan? You have other people that share that, and so you have... A, something in common with them before you even met them that helps you break the ice and get to know people. Um, we see this with political parties. People tend to gravitate towards other people that have similar political beliefs. Uh, we see this in all sorts of different areas of life. People want to categorize themselves. Um, and of course, the, the, the negative part of that is when you get into things like 
um, prejudice and discrimination and such where you're using someone's group against them because they're not part of your group. Um, but it's something that we all do, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong or right. It's just something natural that happens as we tend to cluster with people who are similar to us, and we seek to find those groups with which we have things in common. And why do we do this? Because it's easy, right? It's easy to draw conclusions on someone based on the group that they're in. If I am in a certain group, and I'm dressing like people from that group, and I do my hair like people from that group, then when someone sees me, it's very easy for them to see, okay, you're one of those people, and I put that in the bucket in the back of my mind, and I don't have to think anymore about it, right? I can easily draw conclusions on people based on the bucket that I put them in in my mind. So this phenomenon of people identifying themselves by groups is a very natural human thing that's been going on, you know, forever. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we talk a little bit this morning. All right, so what is a denomination? If we're going to talk about denominationalism, we first need to figure out what we're talking about, right? We need to have a, uh, similar terms. We need to come from the same definition. So anybody want to throw out your own definition? What's a denomination? Ah, yeah, 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 no cheating. <laughs> Sorry? Okay, so you have groups, divisions, right? Like-minded groups. Like-minded groups, okay. A part of a whole. Right, right, right. Discrete parts of a whole that have something in common. Subsets. Subsets of something, okay. Yeah, so you see my picture up there. Um, the actual, I, I learned this last night. Um, denomination... The word was used for coins first, before it was used for religious groups. That's where it comes from, is coins. And what is a denomination of a coin? <coughs> the, the different subsets, right, based on value. You got your penny, you got your dime, you got your nickel, you got your quarter, you can have a half dollar, a dollar coin. Those are all different denominations of, of coins. And if you have ten pennies together, well then you have of a particular denomination, right? You can classify them because they're all the same. They look the same, they're worth the same. That's that denomination of coin. Now, what are those denominations of? Yeah, money in general, but I think more specifically probably the dollar, right? The, the value of our coins are based on the dollar. A hundred pennies make up a dollar. Twenty nickels make up a dollar. Ten dimes make up a dollar. Four quarters make up a dollar, etc. And so what's the... What's the, what's the root or what's the, the origin of those denominations? What's the, the, what's the beginning of it is the dollar, right? If we just use dollars, we wouldn't need deno uh, the denominations of coins. Okay? If we just use dollar bills, then you, and we had no need of change, then we wouldn't use the coins because the coins are there to divide the dollar into specific parts. Okay? So denominations are names. They're used to classify subsets, you know, smaller groups, designate those groups out of a whole. Uh, when we're getting into the religious context, it's branches or sects, that's S-E-C-T-S, -E as in the word sectarian, um, 
of a particular religious belief. And this isn't something that just happens in Christianity, right? If you've ever heard about sectarian violence in the Middle East, what they're referring to is different, I would say, denominations of Islam, right? You have uh, Shia, and you have Sunni, and you have a couple other smaller groups that have branched out of Islam, and so those are effectively denominations. And so if you hear the word sectarian in the news, what they're talking about is denominations of Islam. Um, you have even branches in Judaism as well. You have uh, the more orthodox type Judaism and, and you have a few other uh, branches from that. And so going back to the social identity, if we start labeling, you know, putting people into buckets based on, in this case, teachings and doctrine and practices, you see what's happening, right? You see w how this comes about. And so we get to the point now where people can identify themselves by their religious subgroup just as they can by their social subgroup or by whatever else. Uh, a few examples I, I had that I forgot to mention, career, right? You identify yourself by your career, where you work. You, you might have more in common with other people that are in the same career as you. Anyway, I think, I think the point's going to be across, but if you have any questions, let me know. So what's the problem? You know, we don't really have a whole lot of issues until you get to the extremes with people categorizing themselves socially. It's not like uh, in high school, the football players and the baseball players would you know, get into fights all the time because they were football players and they were baseball players. Maybe that happened in some places, but that's not the norm, right? People can still get along. People can still coexist by having social differences. So, so where's the issue then? Why does it matter if the church is denominated just as the dollar or your high school social group? Well, I want to present three possible issues this morning. Um, I'm not going to say they're exclusive, but I do think they, they help illustrate some of the challenges that are inherent in the trend, or trend, but the, the phenomena of denominationalism. Uh, so the three things I want to present and I'm going to talk about, talk about is first the issue of dividing the church which, as we understand, we just talked about, that's, that's what denomination is. It's a division. So first, dividing the church. Um, second point, leading to conflicting and con contradictory doctrine. And then third, the issue of promoting the teaching of men. And we'll get into each of those here in a second. I'm going to do a case study here. We'll, we'll finally get into some scripture. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 10 through 13. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13. Now, somebody would read that when you get there, please. says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow 
Still another I thought of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? All right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so what's going on in the Corinthian church? What's Paul writing about here? What's the issue? There's, there's divisions, right? And what are the divisions? Yeah, they've got different teachers, uh, you know, those who might have baptized them or those who might have, you know, they might have been exposed to first their teaching. People are breaking off and, and trying to follow these teachers and taking their names instead of following Christ, right? And that's, that's the question that Paul poses is, is Christ divided? You know, did any of these other people that you claim to be following, were they the ones that died for you? Were you saved in their name? And, of course, the answer to the rhetorical question is no. Uh, Christ saved us. And Christ is the one we follow. Christ is not divided. And so Paul is confronting the issue in this church where they're, start, they're starting to divide themselves based on an identity, right? They're identifying with a particular teacher. And they want to separate themselves from each other based on the teacher that they want to follow. So we see how this is causing an issue in the church, otherwise Paul wouldn't be writing about it. So, we're going to look at the three topics I mentioned a second ago, um, using the, the Corinthian church as an example. So back in verse 10, uh, he says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, it's kind of difficult to see the graphic up there, but I wanted to show you at least one um, interpretation of breaks within the church over time. You see on the left side, starts off with this gray line, and that is, you know, first century, right? And as you go over time, you see these branches start to break off. You see Catholicism break off. From Catholicism, you see a split, and then you see Catholicism actually break off into Protestantism, the Protestantism or the, the Protestant groups break off separately from the Catholic Church at different times. And then you also see some other groups that we're probably not as familiar with because they're more in, in Eastern Europe um, that also broke off. And so this is kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about dividing the church, right? You see all these branches going off in different directions. And unfortunately, from the perspective of the person who made this graphic, you see the gray line ends, right? The gray line, starting from the first century, from their perspective, stops. There is no more gray line. So I think there's some implications there. Again, why does this matter? Let's go to John chapter 17. Someone read John chapter 17, uh, 20 through 23. Uh, John 17, 20 through 23. Neither pray after these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may all, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art me, and I am thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest to me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect, in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. 
All right, and so what is Jesus' prayer for his followers? They may be what? One. And by one, what does he mean? United, right, unity. For what purpose? Verse 21. So the world may believe, right? So the world may believe you sent me. Let them be unified so that the world will see. And then, what is the model for our unity? Based on verses 22 and 23, what's the, the analogy that Jesus uses? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, the, the, the Trinity, right? That just as we are one, my followers should be one. Okay? Are Jesus and God teaching a different doctrine? Is the Holy Spirit teaching a different doctrine? No, right? They're, all, they're saying the same thing. They're unified in their intent. They're unified in their teaching, in their actions, in their words. And so that's what I'm talking about here, is, is this is the model, right? This is what Jesus is praying for. He, Jesus is praying to God for this, right? This is important. And this is his perspective. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we want to understand what his perspective is on the things that we do. Uh, let's also go to Ephesians. Someone read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, please. Ephesians 4, 4 through 5. All right, so Paul's pushing a similar type of teaching here to the Ephesians. He's, he's trying to get them to understand there's one body, okay? Who's the head of the body? Christ. What's the body? Church. The church. There is one. There is one body, just as there is one spirit. There's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. Those are all one, Okay. So again, when we're starting to divide things up, if we're, if we're dividing the church up, that seems to run contrary to what Jesus is looking for and to what Paul is teaching. They're not talking about dividing the church up. They're talking about being one and seeking unity. And the problem, as I mentioned a minute ago, is that this, this divides the church. It hinders the church's work, right? If, if you have multiple groups with multiple teachings going out and trying to convert people, and they see the conflict within what they perceive to be the church, well, what's their impression going to be? We don't even have our own house in order, right? How are we going to convert people to a belief set and they don't even know which, one, which teaching to believe? Second point, uh, conflicting doctrine or contradictory doctrine. That kind of leads from the issue we just talked about. Um, you look at denominational teachings throughout the world, they don't, they can't all be true. If this were a matter of pick your social identity and go forth and do good things, well then it wouldn't matter if one group's teachings were different from another group's teachings. But we get into the situation where some teachings are directly contradictory of each other. The problem is, that's not the way the Bible is written. Someone read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, 
that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Okay. So, so Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's saying to urge people to not teach a different doctrine or another doctrine. Well, a different doctrine from what? Yeah, from Christ, from the doctrine that Paul delivered, right? Don't teach something different than what I've given you. And we see this admonition in several of the epistles. If someone else comes to you and is teaching something that I haven't taught, if it's different than what you've been given, don't give that person attention, right? Because it's not a matter of different people teaching different things. If the church is going to be one, the teaching has to be one. Uh, I think a companion concept to this is in Romans. Romans chapter 10. Someone read verses 2 and 3. For bear them record that they have a real seal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. All right, so, so what's the issue that Paul's talking about here in Romans? Who, who are they? Israel. Yeah, Israel, the, the Jewish people, right, with whom he shares... Um, a lot of a lot in common, right? Culturally, um, they're his people. But he says they have a zeal for God, but not according to what knowledge. And I think it's an important point to bring out here that when you look in the denominational world and you see kind of what's become of it and and what's happening out there, that's not to say that people are malicious. Oftentimes, people in various denominations are very zealous. At times, I would say, more zealous than a lot of us are. But that zeal has to be informed. The zeal has to be according to knowledge. Well, knowledge of what? Of the, of the Word of God, of the teaching. And that's Paul's concern here, is they're zealous, but they don't know about God's righteousness, of the teaching of the gospel that they're trying to deliver to them. And so when you have a zeal... For God, but not according to knowledge, you can run into this situation where now your teaching is in conflict with someone else's teaching who also claims to represent Christ. Um, and what does that lead to? Well, if you go back to 1 Corinthians that we read a minute ago, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 11 now, it leads to quarreling, right? It leads to conflict. It leads to disagreement. It leads to um, people dividing themselves and not being able to get along. Okay, third point. Um, so, so alongside this, when it comes to these conflicting teachings, where are these teachings coming from? Because it's not coming from Scripture, right? Scripture is Scripture. So where's the teaching coming from? I cut you off. Hmm? Yeah, I mean, various men, right? Um, teachings that have arose over time because of influential men who had varying ideas but who may not have been totally grounded in the Scripture. And when you start following man-made creeds, man-made doctrines, when you start following uh, a, a man's interpretation instead of the Scripture, then that's where you start seeing all these branches breaking off because now you're following off like the Corinthians were, were doing after particular teachers. In verse 12, what does it say? 
Each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Well, what does that sound like? That sounds like people following John Wesley, people following Martin Luther, people following John Calvin. And that's not to say, again, that these were malicious people. In fact, these, from what I understand of my study of history, not that I knew them, they had great intentions and they were zealous. But when we start following off the teachings of men instead of the teachings of Scripture, is it any surprise that we see groups now begin to identify themselves by the religious scholars and, and thinkers um, that they model their teachings after? Does that make sense? Now you see the trend I was talking about in the beginning. If, if someone breaks off from the Catholic Church and teaches something different, and people agree with that teaching, they're going to break off and follow them. And I don't blame them for doing that. But if we start following a man's teaching instead of the Scripture, if we're, we're breaking off from one denomination and creating another, right? We're, we're branching out again instead of going back to the main line, going back to the trunk. And so teachings of men aren't doctrine. Men are not inspired whether they have good intentions or not. Men are not inspired. Um, someone read Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 7. Mark 7, 6 through 7. And so you see here in verse 7, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men, and that's being lumped together with vain worship. That's being lumped together with, with Christ's critiques of those who were following these traditions, right? Traditions of men, teachings of men. That's not where our instruction comes. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Somebody will read that, please. Galatians chapter 1, verse uh, 8. All right, and so that's what I mentioned earlier, right? Paul is telling the Galatians, if, if someone else comes to you and teaches you something different than what we taught you at the beginning, even if they're an angel, you know, that is not in line with God's will. If I'm teaching a different doctrine than what is in the Scripture, I'm not in line with the teaching of God. And you know, what comes out of these, these teachings? Well, you, first, you have the conflicting doctrine. You have these organizations popping up right? that, that exert authority over a religious group that, again, we don't find in Scripture. You see these... Um, nationwide or worldwide authorities now telling congregations what they should be teaching and what they should be doing. All this stuff bleeds out of breaking off from the teaching of the church and following ideas of men. It's like if you have a cracker and the person takes a little piece 
Mm -hmm. So like with my mom, and, and if she had some food and she needed to feed, it, feed us kids, she only had this little cracker, she'd start adding to it. And it would dilute mm -hmm. the, what the cracker was because <coughs> it was So what happens is they take this little piece of what they've got of God, and then they start adding things because they, they didn't go back and keep it the whole. Right. So let me let me I guess give you a, a a companion analogy. What about talk about um, several weeks ago, the church being a house or a building, right? If I've got some holes in the building, okay. That, I mean, it's good that I've recognized that there are holes in my building. I need to fix this wall because the building's you know is not set right. But I need to make sure I use the correct material to fill the hole in, right? If I if I take a brick house and I start filling in the, the open spaces with paper, then the wall's not going to be in a whole lot better shape. I need to fill it with brick, right? And so if I'm not filling the gaps in my teaching with more teaching from Scripture, but teachings of men, it's not going to stand. And I think those are some of the main issues I wanted to present this morning that we run into. Um, and that is why... I would suggest denominationalism is an issue, and it's something that we need to strive to, to help, again, get back to unity, get back to the Bible, so that we can all speak one language. So, going back to the original question, is the Church of Christ a denomination? Well, no, the answer is no. I could have asked that at the beginning, and you could have said no, and I could have sat down, and we could have saved half an hour. But why is it not a denomination? That's the question. The church established in the first century by Jesus and his apostles is not a denomination because the teaching is based on Christ's teaching, right? It's not based on traditions of men. Um, the teaching doesn't you know, contradict itself. It is the teaching, right? Um, it's not divided because it is the original, right? That's, that's the, the goal is to go back to the, the trunk of the tree, not to be branches. So the original church itself cannot be a denomination because in our coin analogy, the original church is the dollar, right? Uh, it is what denominations try to base themselves off of when they split off. I hate that it didn't leave more time, but I do want to propose this question now because I always like to, to get into this a little bit. Is the church of Christ a denomination? It shouldn't be. That's, that's my perspective. And that's, that's to generate a little bit of thought, you know, not to necessarily try to uh, cause too much controversy. Maybe a little controversy, but not too much controversy. But I want to share a story with you. A few years ago, uh, Allison and I, I had a work trip, and I wound up in Australia. Well, I wound up in Australia. We went to Australia intentionally. Um, but we were trying to find a congregation to worship with. And that was difficult because... The phrase Church of Christ means several different things in Australia. There are different groups that use that name. And so the congregation that we worship with, actually their sign says, Non-Denominational Church of Christ. Because there are other groups that use the name too, and they, are, they have various uh, teachings that are in conflict with Scripture. Which got me to thinking, you know, the, the old adage, what's in a name? What's the purpose of the sign outside? 
identification, right? Well, what have we talked about this morning? The need to identify oneself as distinct and separate from other people. And so I'm not saying that this congregation is part of a denomination. But what I am saying is that if we adopt denominational thinking and practices, we can become that. If we view ourselves as a distinct group and not the, not the church, if we view ourselves as one group of many, then we're becoming denominational in our thinking. If you treat the, the minister as a pastor, even if you don't call him that, you're effectively doing the same thing. You're just rebranding yourself, right? Um, if, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, XYZ person is Church of Christ, right? Well, what does that imply? That implies an intentional division, right? That implies some sort of subgroup, right? We're not supposed to be a subgroup. Is, is salvation in the name on the, on the sign outside? No, salvation is not in, that, in those words. Salvation is in Christ. It's in the teaching. Is everyone in a church that has the sign like ours outside part of the church? Not necessarily. You need to look at their teachings. And, if we want to get a little controversial, are there people who worship in congregations that don't have the exact same sign as we do outside who are members of the church? What are they teaching? Are they following scripture? If their sign just says church, does that mean that they're a member of the Lord's body or not? You need to see their teaching. Are they following scripture? Are they, have they obeyed the gospel, right? And so I want to caution us, not from intentionally being denominational, but from adopting the, the thinking and the practices of the world around us unknowingly in treating ourselves as one when we shouldn't be. And I hope that makes sense. Um, I'm out of time this morning, but I do want to give you a little teaser for next week. So what about this guy? If I want to make the case that people using the name Church of Christ are also denominational, I'm probably going to talk about this guy. Anyone know who he is? That's Alexander Campbell, right? So next week, we're going to talk about Alexander Campbell and a little bit of the Restoration Movement and how that relates to us in this room this morning. And hopefully that will help answer some of the questions that I tried to present at the end of the lesson today. Thank you very much for your attention.